The voices that you just heard are the voices of Kenyan women migrant workers in Lebanon demanding repatriation from their government following the devastating August 4th explosion and the COVID-19 pandemic. Many of these women had moved to Beirut to work as domestic workers and were contracted under the kafala system. They had recently found themselves jobless and displaced after the explosion. These protests by Kenyan women migrant workers in Beirut in Lebanon have sparked the conversation around the issue of labor migration and in particular Kenyan labor migration to Middle Eastern countries. Kenyans are now asking what drives other Kenyans to move to these countries for work? What are some of the challenges that they face once they arrive in these countries? What does the regulatory framework here in Kenya look like? What policies, what laws do we have around labor migration to ensure the migrant workers abroad are not being exploited or abused by the employers or recruitment agencies? At Senasom Kenya, we have decided to launch this podcast as a platform to address these issues. And in this episode, I will be speaking to Nkirote Laiboni, who is a coordinator and also a volunteer for the Senasom Kenya campaign. According to stakeholder estimates, there are between 100,000 and 300,000 Kenyan nationals living and working in the Middle East. We're going to talk about what motivates Kenyans to migrate to Middle Eastern countries. We will share some of the stories that we've heard from Kenyan migrant workers about their experiences in the Middle East. We will also talk about what the Kenyan government has done so far to address the issue of the abuse and exploitation of Kenyan migrant workers in Middle Eastern countries. And lastly, we will also talk about our aspirations as Centers from Kenya, what we are hoping to achieve in the next couple of months and how you can support us in this journey. So just to begin by way of introduction, my name is Brenda Kamaliki. My educational background is international human rights law with a particular interest in migration rights and women's rights. Uh, Over the last couple of years, I've worked in the charity sector, doing various roles within community engagement, policy and public affairs, and doing legal casework as well. My role within the Senders Home Kenya campaign is to coordinate communications for the campaign. And I'm just going to let Nkirote introduce herself. My name is Nkirote Laiboni, and uh, I'd like yeah. to introduce myself as a, a human rights lawyer by training, yeah. uh, meaning that I studied, I studied law and I studied human rights, and I also studied international relations, but uh, a researcher, policy analyst, and programs manager uh, in practice. Uh, so I have worked, um, I've always been interested in, in migration, and over the last uh, over a decade now, I've worked with uh, you know different communities that are affected by inequalities, including migrant workers and refugees. Uh, but an area of like research interest and and really where my heart lies in terms of uh, work is has always been with you know migrant workers, uh, refugees, asylum seekers. What sparked your interest in migration rights specifically? Because human rights has such an array of um, inequalities, you know, especially for a Kenyan context as well? I think I'm just, just personally, just, just very curious about movement, really, and just mm. um, the othering, the, the process of othering of, of migrants. Uh, I had the opportunity as an adult also to, to move around a fair bit, and so I've experienced, um, I've experienced what it means to be a migrant, uh, both internally within the country, but then also externally as well. So I understand that the concept of like, you know, having to adapt to a new culture, mm-hmm. having to, to deal with um, 
you know, discrimination, racism, and, and having to really push yourself mm-hmm. and to be, to learn about uh, the, the, you know, your country of, of, of destination, to learn about, um, you know, the way things work, the way the systems work in that country, but then also to, to grapple with a lot of challenges because it's not always, regardless of your status, economic status, um, and level of education, it's never easy to start over anywhere. Sometimes those struggles are, will, will definitely be felt more if you are of a lower economic status. If you are undocumented, if you're moving somewhere <laughs> without the right papers, uh, or if you've overstayed, um, then of course then you have to, it's, it's more challenging. It's much yeah. more challenging. And if you go somewhere where you have to adapt to, the culture is completely different from, from, your, from yours, uh, the language is, is a language barrier. Um, obviously, those, those 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 challenges and complexities are much more difficult to to adapt with. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and I think, and that's the same for me as well. That um, moving out of the country and moving out of Kenya specifically, and moving to a Western culture, really magnified that sense of alienation for me. So I want to kind of touch on uh, the reasons why people move out of Kenya in the first place, right? Uh, because we know it's a developing country, there's quite a lot of economic problems, a lot of social problems. So can you give us a brief overview of why do you think people move uh, from Kenya? When you think of like a more mid, mid-income or, or more low-skilled uh, migrant workers, then you see that there's an increasing demand, um, and not just from Kenya, uh, but from other countries in the region, you know, like Uganda and Ethiopia as well, mm-hmm. uh, for migrant domestic workers, for domestic workers, uh, care workers, uh, but then also um, when, when you think of uh, uh, men uh, who move to those countries in, in the mm-hmm. Gulf and the rest of the Middle East, then of course there's also demand for, um, you know, drivers, construction workers as well. Yeah. And this increasing demand um, uh, for workers in the Middle East is obviously based on quite a number of factors. Um, the first one, being obviously there's demand. I mean, these are oil-rich countries, <laughs> and some of these, um, uh, some of these, um, you know, sectors or positions are deemed to be too low level for the for the nationals of those countries to fill. And so, of course, they will look at um, historically they've looked at uh, Southeast Asia and South Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, countries like India, countries like Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, Philippines as well has been you know a key country of, of origin for for you know migrant workers uh, to go to the Gulf in the Middle East. Ethiopia in this region has always been, you know, compared to other countries, you know, since the 80s, Ethiopia has been supplying labor to those countries. Um, But in the last, let's say, probably decade, we have been seeing a trend from Kenya and Uganda, and and quite recently I've heard that, uh, you know, Rwanda as well. So we are seeing increasing demand Mm -hmm. from Eastern Africa, you know, yeah. beyond Ethiopia, but also other countries in Eastern Africa as well. And of course, because there's, there's um, you know, increasing t- trends rather. Of course, that's because there's demand in those countries, but then also there's, there's uh, you know, rising unemployment rates here yeah. in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are moving for those reasons, but also people are moving because we are all aspirational. Yeah. You know, we all want better for ourselves. So regardless of uh, economic status, regardless of where you are in life, here the the population is growing 
and so which means it's a higher demand for for, for work and, and you know unfortunately not enough jobs have been created to yeah. fill that demand so then yeah. we see more people go but also one of the interesting things I've, I've, I've observed it seems also some governments in this part of the world are seeing migration labor migration as a as a way of addressing this unemployment mm -hmm. so there's an element of sort of uh, encouragement mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> young people are being encouraged to to go to go to the Middle East and you know uh, find uh, find work there. So in fact, that was going to be my next question. We know that it's quite difficult as an African to move, um, and not only within the African continent, but also to move outside of the African continent. But now that we are seeing more and more Africans, and specifically Kenyans, migrating to these countries, why do you think it's much easier? to go to Lebanon, for instance, or Qatar, compared to going to the UK. Um, does that mean that the government makes it easier, facilitates it for Kenyans who would wish to go? Okay, if you look at Europe, of course, mm. um, European countries have become very nationalistic yeah. um, since the so-called migration crisis of, uh, I think it was 2015, yes, mm -hmm. of 2015. Mm -hmm. um moving movements from from uh, africa you know migration from africa to, to europe also migration from uh you know syria and other parts of the middle east to europe has also become quite restricted so it's becoming harder for any african who has aspirations to move to europe to go there and then you see on the flip side that mm -hmm. uh you know countries uh, uh, in eastern africa are now you know negotiating or even uh, signing bilateral labor agreements with uh, countries in the Middle East. Uh, and these agreements actually um, allow, or rather it's, you know, it's a process of just uh, facilitating that movement of, of laborers mm -hmm. from Kenya or from Uganda or from you know, Ethiopia or Rwanda uh, or elsewhere in the region to the Middle East uh, and to go and work in specific sectors. Because there's, there's a high demand for domestic workers, in this in this region in the in the Gulf and the Middle East, then of course uh, some of these bilateral labor agreements are very specific to domestic workers. So, for instance, the, the labor agreement that Kenya has signed with Saudi Arabia is specific to domestic workers, and you know it, it talks about like the uh, minimum wage, for instance, for domestic workers, which is about like three hundred and seventy-five dollars mm -hmm. uh, per per month as minimum wage. So it's very specific to domestic workers. Of course, Saudi Arabia is attracting. Um, workers in other sectors from Kenya, but this particular bilateral labor agreement is specific to domestic workers. Yeah. And so, you know, when you see such agreements and, and it, you know, it specifies what process uh, a migrant should follow, a prospective migrant should follow in order to go to, to the Middle East, you know, including um, receiving, uh, you know, pre-departure training uh, with uh, training agencies that are accredited with the national um, NITA, yeah. the national agency that, uh, you know, for training that falls the agency, this agency falls under the Ministry of, 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 of Labor and Social Protection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, going through this pre-dispatch uh, training, ensuring that you have a contract as a migrant domestic worker, having that contract attested by a labor uh, officer, which also sits under uh, the Ministry of Labor. Mm -hmm. um, of course, ensuring that uh, you know uh, you you've gone through um, this whole process is managed by a private uh, employment agency that is again accredited registered and accredited by the ministry of labor so they're actually like administrative processes official mm -hmm. official processes that are, are recognized mm -hmm. um 
and that are overseen by the, the Ministry of, of, of Labour and, and Social Protection. So with such processes in place, then it becomes much easier for agencies because of course in Kenya, um, in the countries of destination like Kenya, the, agent, the private agencies will work closely with the private agencies in, you know, in Kenya, will work closely with the private agencies in, in the countries of destination such as Lebanon, so that they are able to facilitate this employment process because the prospective employers in the countries of uh, origin will then you know, go to a, 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 an agent there and say, you know, <clears throat> I'm looking for, I'm looking to hire a migrant worker from, you know, do you have any? I'm looking to hire a domestic worker, do, do you have any? And this is what I'm willing to pay. And then this agent will then work with, with a partner agent in Kenya to facilitate that process. And of course, throughout this whole process, the migrant domestic worker, if you're talking specifically to do uh, in relation to the migrant domestic worker, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the contractual process or the employment process is managed by the two agents, agents, agents in, the, in the two countries. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the, the person sponsoring this whole process is the employer. Mm-hmm. And of course, in these countries in the Middle East, um, the employment system uh, is guided by, or the migrant um, employment system is guided by what is called the kafala system. And so in that system, which it's, it's, you know, people refer to it as a sponsorship system, because under that kafala system, it's the employer who covers the cost of all this. Mm-hmm. Basically, the migrant domestic worker is not supposed to cover any costs. Mm-hmm. So the employer in Lebanon, for instance, on Saudi Arabia, on Qatar, Kuwait, will cover the costs for the visa, for ideally even for the medical tests mm-hmm. that the, the worker should undertake uh, before they even sign that contract. Uh, for the passport, if they don't have uh, access to a passport, because if they don't have a passport, then the, the agent in Kenya will have to process one. Um, for any other costs mm-hmm. of travel, including the flight ticket. Mm-hmm. And so because it's called, a, it's, 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 you know, it's referred to as a sponsorship system, it means that the employer then ends up actually, that the, the immigration uh, process and, and related rights mm-hmm. and responsibility, responsibilities end up being held by the employer and not by the state. So the employer is meant to pay for the tickets, meant to pay for the for the entire recruitment process, including any medical tests needed, uh, mm-hmm. any travel cost incurred. But what I wanted to bring up actually is that um, a lot of domestic workers, migrant domestic workers, once they get to the country of destination, um, a lot of them have reported that sometimes the employers make them pay back that money. Um, and they say that the fact that it can be quite a costly process, the entire recruitment process, right? Um, it makes the employers feel entitled to them and say, you know, we've had these uh, stories of domestic workers saying, you know, once they get there, the employers tell them, okay, I paid $5,000 for you. You know, I basically own you. So it ends up becoming, uh, as some activists have referred it to, as a, as a form of modern slavery. So do you, do you think it's right that the kafala can, equate, can be equated to modern slavery? I mean, I, I shy away from using the word okay. slave mm-hmm. um, when referring to human beings, because you know, in my opinion, no one is a slave. And I also shy away from some of these terminologies that we see being used in the space, you know, like uh, you know, legal, an illegal person. You know, no person is illegal, no person is a slave. Mm-hmm. It's just that sometimes, 
themselves uh, or someone find them, finds themselves themselves in 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 um, you know very uh, exploitative uh, situations. Uh, but to 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 call someone a slave, I think I feel anyway, in my mm. opinion, that it dehumanizes that person. Mm-hmm. And I again, you know, referring to someone as a, an, a, as an illegal person again, it just completely dehumanizes that person. I think you know we should, as we are discussing and 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 you know, defining and then talking about the experiences of of, of 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 migrant workers and especially migrant domestic workers in the Middle East. I think we also have to be careful about the way we we refer to them and the way we we, we um, speak of them because mm-hmm. I mean it can also be we can be uh, be part of the problem really. But yeah. I know, having said that, just going back to your question, when, whether that you know kafala system then places this this uh, migrant domestic workers, especially in in a in a vulnerable position, then my answer is yes, it does because I mean, you know, if you have the immigration um, basically responsibility falling under the the worker, I mean, falling under the employer, mm-hmm. meaning that it is the employer that will not only cover the cost of, of travel including the, the, the visas and the and the, uh, the visas and the, and the and the and the passport but then also will be responsible for buying the flight you know because usually uh, the migrant domestic workers uh, from Kenya and elsewhere in East Africa will go to the Middle East uh, and work for uh, uh, under contracts of two years so usually uh, two year two year contracts mm-hmm. so after those two years, uh, the processes that and the requirements that then that the employers should then cover their flights, uh, the flights, the, the the cost for the flights back, but of course also any other processing of any you know visa documentation. If there's any exit visas or exit permits uh, to be processed, that should be done by by the employer. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the employer then has this wide responsibility, mm-hmm. and then at the same time also. It also means that the same employer also has this wide array of powers mm-hmm. and feels entitled quite often to uh, uh, confiscate the passport because they feel that you know we paid for this anyway, um, and you've you've come here, we've paid for everything, so you know we we are we are very right to take your passport. We are very right to overwork you. You know, uh, I was involved in in a, in a research quite recently, and, and we were talking to a number of. Migrant, returning migrant domestic workers, not just Kenyan, but also others um, from other parts of East Africa. And one of the things they complained about is the system number of working hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, on average, they are working 17 hours, 14 hours, 17 hours a day. Mm-hmm. How many of us work that long? And this mm-hmm. is like hard labor because they are, the houses they're working in are quite big. Um, quite a number of families in, in this in this part of the world, in the Arab region, are quite big because mm-hmm. they're not just living, you know, it's not just like a nuclear family setup. It's, it's, you know, we have extended family members. Some of them will actually be required to go and work, not just in one, one uh, their employer's home, but also their employer's relative's home on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So they are working long hours. Their passports have been confiscated. Their movement is restricted. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're not even allowed to use their phones. So even their phones, they might travel with their mobile phones, but those phones are also confiscated or the employers will restrict their use of the phones mm-hmm. or they'll hover around mm-hmm. <laughs> as they're using the phones mm-hmm. to sort of just manage them. Um, so, you know, when people say uh, slave-like conditions, I think those are some of the things that, that they refer to. And of course, also what, we, what we've, we had uh, when talking to some of the returnees, and again, as I said, it's not just Kenya. I think this reflects, uh, this, this issue is reflected across, across the region. Mm-hmm. 
again, it's just abuse. You know, if 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 someone feels that they they, they own you uh, and they've paid for you, then they feel entitled to, to abuse you. They feel entitled to insult you, to call you names, mm-hmm. to not feed you. You know, um, some women will say that they, they were only eating once a day. Sometimes they're given um, food. You know, they're asked they they're asked to wait until the five family members finish eating, and they'll share. You know, it's, it's a culture where people are eating from the same plate. Uh, or from the same tree mm-hmm. and they are told to wait until all the family members you know and they a lot of times they're using their hands to eat mm-hmm. all the family members to finish eating and then you know eat from that same plate they eat basically what we call in kenya bakshish, yeah. basically leftovers yeah. but that people have touched which culturally mm-hmm. from our our context you know in kenya that's not culturally acceptable it's actually quite an insult so those are some of the challenges that they they, 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 they migrant domestic workers have, have shared with, 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 with us, not only, not only uh, as a Send Us Home Kenya campaign, but also just generally speaking, given my um, you know, engagement with, with, with them in, 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 in other um, interventions. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also quite important to mention that uh, migrant domestic workers under the kafala are not allowed to um, leave their contracts or even leave their employers until their contracts end which sometimes means that even when they get into very exploitative situations or abusive situations, they're forced to continue doing that type of work until their contracts finish. Um, because if they run away, they risk becoming undocumented and undocumentation could mean risk of being deported or, uh, or risk of being arrested in very terrible conditions in a, in a foreign country. But I want to understand, um, outside of that, a lot of domestic workers, migrant domestic workers, um, even when going through some of these uh, situations in, in Lebanon, for instance, um, and then if they manage to come back to their country of origin, so for instance, like Kenya, Quite a lot of them tend to migrate again, uh, often to a different country. Um, And also the other uh, thing that I want to touch on is that even though other Kenyan women and Kenyan men as well have heard about these stories of exploitation, the stories of abuse, um, there's still quite a drive for people going outside uh, of Kenya to do these jobs, right? Um, So what do you think keeps people going, even though we've heard about these accounts, really horrible accounts, uh, and especially people who have experienced these things themselves. First of all, to your first point on the contract, yeah. yes, definitely, um, you know, obviously the, the, the migrant domestic worker is paid to, to, to the employer. And so if, uh, you know, they, they choose to, to leave, and sometimes they will choose to leave because the conditions are exploitative, they are not being paid. Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, how some, some some employers will expect uh, the migrants on arrival to, to pay off uh, the, the money that the employer used to, to, to cover their, their travel costs, which is actually not, you know, obviously, it's, 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 first of all, it's, it's a violation. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a violation of, uh, of human rights, but also at the same time, it's not, you know, that's, that's not the arrangement and it's not, not what has been agreed upon, you know, especially in, in those cases where Kenya has signed a bilateral labor agreement with those countries of designation. As I know, at the moment, we've signed uh, three bilateral labor agreements with, with countries in the Middle East, including um, Saudi Arabia. And uh, we are also in the process of, of negotiating other uh, labor agreements uh, with other countries in the Middle East. We haven't signed with Lebanon yet, uh, so that's a big part of the problem. And then secondly, on your question, 
you know, first of all, what happens when, when you know, when, when they, they, they leave the employers or, or they, you know, they run away or they're dissatisfied with their working conditions. They have various alternatives. So sometimes they will go to the agent at the country of just before they left the country and, uh, you know, have the details of where the, the, the agent of, uh, of who the agent in the country of destination is and you know, where, where, where their offices are. And they will go back. They will go to those agents, that agent. And the idea is that the agent then will find an alternative. We've, we've heard of cases where they'll go to the agents and they'll be forced either to go back to the same abusive employer mm-hmm. because apparently they've signed a two-year contract and the expectation is that they should finish that two-year contract before, you know, uh, asking to leave or wanting to leave or then they don't uh, they refuse to go back and they're told them well in that case then you'll have to stay here and then the agent actually ends up being the exploitative party mm-hmm. yeah yeah um there was some some uh a recent article in the news about um the impact of uh covid on, on you know migrant domestic workers in in, uh, in saudi arabia and also in the Middle east and those are such as a case actually that was highlighted by that article, um, talking about a Kenyan lady who went to the agent and the agent then uh, responded to that by placing this, this lady with a group of other ladies in a tiny room and then locking them up in that room. Um, you know, tiny room with no, just a small window, uh, one toilet shared by a number of you know, migrant domestic workers who came uh, to that country, to Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, agent, mm-hmm. and locking them up and just really being abusive. One of the ladies mm-hmm. was actually tied up uh, because she protested to the treatment. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of experiences this, these ladies are going, you know, are having to grapple with, uh, not only under the hands of the employers, but also uh, under the hands of the agents. Mm-hmm. Um, you asked the question as to why this is what we're seeing in the media, mm-hmm. if this is the these are the challenges that uh, we're hearing and, and obviously when you go on social media you go on facebook especially mm. there's lots and lots of uh, accounts of, of the experiences of the migrant domestic workers especially um, in the middle east but i have to say that not all stories are, are negative uh, mm. you know personally i've had stories of, 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 of migrant domestic workers going to egypt for instance and mm. earning as much as 700 dollars per month and being paid on time and even earning, you know, uh, a little extra, you know, tokens and being given like gifts by the employers. Mm-hmm. There have been cases of, or, you know, accounts of migrant domestic workers going to the UAE as well. And even Saudi Arabia, there are some good examples and, and positive stories coming from Saudi Arabia. So not all, everyone's experience is negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would, I would say that uh, quite a, a number, probably the majority mm-hmm. of the experiences are negative mm-hmm. uh, or are problematic. But the fact still remains is that, you know, this is happening and it's happening to quite a number of them, to a majority of them. You know, we've had the positive stories, maybe this time I want it to be better. Mm. Or perhaps they had a positive, they, they finished their two-year contract, uh, mm. they were paid on time, came back, they were, the employer was good, the employer paid for their home, you know, mm. they couldn't find any opportunities and they chose to, to migrate again. Yeah. Okay, so I want to touch on, uh, I know you mentioned earlier that the government, to an extent through signing labor agreements with some of these uh, countries of destination, they're kind of facilitating that uh, labor migration process and encouraging it to an extent as well, and also benefiting from the remittances being sent back home, right? Um, but I want to touch on some of the things that the government, the Kenyan government in particular, 
um, has done, or even the countries of destination, uh, what their governments have done to kind of address this issue, because it's something that has been talked about for for a decade or even longer now, uh, and a lot of human rights organizations in particular are very vocal about it. You know, there's a lot of media reports and documentaries highlighting this situation. So what do you think has been done by the governments um, in terms of uh, protection mechanisms for migrant workers? In terms of the policy mm. uh, response, mm -hmm. um, there have been you know, policy dialogues that have been ongoing um, uh, as far as I know, for the last decade, since 2010, mm -hmm. um, there has been uh, policies drafted uh, to respond to the issue of you know, labor migration and migration in general. Uh, so there's a uh, you know, labor migration policy that has been drafted, labor migration management bill, mm -hmm. um, that as far as I know is yet to be found, with adapting a, a national migration policy that just looks comprehensively at, at migration, mm -hmm. um, you know, not just looking at, uh, you know, labor migration specifically, but just, just, just looking comprehensively at, at emigration of Kenyan nationals to other countries, but then also immigration. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Uh, so in terms of the policy developments, that's, that's where we are at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and as I said, as, as far as I know, that the, the bill has not been passed yet. But I do know that the, the, the you know, Ministry of Interior, the Immigration Department, the Ministry of Interior, of course, in collaboration with the Ministry of Labor and Social Protection, and uh, I don't know to what extent the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is involved in this, mm -hmm. but I do know that there's been obviously discussions, uh, you know, across across these different uh, ministries and, and the relevant, you know, state agencies that fall under them. Yeah. Um, so of course, labor migration is a is is, is primarily a labor issue. Mm. So uh, the Ministry of Labor is is you know uh, at the front line. In, in a, recently, uh, employment agencies uh, formed under the Ministry of Labor. And idea the idea for for, for this um, uh, uh, agency really is to uh, its mandate really is is is, is around not only. Uh, facilitating or you know looking at the issues to do with uh, emigration for labor of national Kenyan nationals for labor to, to other countries, but then also just just managing um, you know the, the accreditation and uh, the registration and accreditation of, of, of the employment recruitment agencies or rather the private employment agencies, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and just ensuring that uh, you know the, 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 that. These agencies are obviously operating uh, legally. So that came off the back um, of these accounts of abuse and exploitation that we're, we're hearing about. Yeah. So yeah. This, this, this requirement came off the back of, of these accounts, especially you know, in the media of, of yeah. uh, migrant workers, and particularly Kenyan migrant mm. domestic workers, mm -hmm. being abused in Saudi Arabia and other countries in the Gulf and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, and so what the Kenyan government did is to actually um, deregister mm. all private employment agencies and then require them to go through a process of, of, of registration and a process of also accreditation. Mm -hmm. But then also the government responded by, by uh, putting in place a ban, a migration ban of Kenyan workers to, to, to go to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the idea was, you know, put this ban in place and then, you know, look at the regulatory uh, framework. Look at uh, you know the factors that are uh, you know leading to to all these uh, challenges uh, and and the abuses and and, and you know, the 
expectation that uh, we were seeing in the media mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Again, this has happened in the, past, in the last 10 years or so. So um, these things have been done yeah. at least in the last in the last three years or, or less. But uh, as recent as today, or even as recent as 2020, we're still hearing these stories. So do you think there's a, there's a lack of um, enforcement um, in terms of making sure these processes are actually being done in practice rather than just existing under the law? First of all, you know, NEA needs to be strengthened and mm-hmm. it needs to be able to, you know, to, 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 together with, uh, generally speaking, um, counterparts, uh, other counterparts uh, in, in the Ministry of Labour. Um, it needs to be able to actually monitor uh, as, a, as, as an agent, as a state agent, needs to be able to monitor uh, uh, the, the, the you know enforcement of some of these regulations. It needs to be able to monitor uh, this, the employment agencies. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the the attestation process, uh, for instance, you know, uh, when you compare to what we do in what we do in Kenya or what other countries do. Um, you know, migrant work, domestic workers uh, in in Zanzibar, for instance. Uh, and actually, not just the, the domestic workers, other just other migrant workers, generally speaking. When you go to the Ministry of, of, of and I, you know, of course, I, I recognize that Zanzibar is much smaller than, than mm-hmm. Kenya. But uh, the Ministry of Labor has uh, information days every week. Mm-hmm. And the migrant workers are supposed to go there in person and are supposed to interact with the labor officials. And they're supposed to get, you know, pretty much information and, and they'll be asked. Mm-hmm. So you signed this contract. Are you familiar with the contents of the contract? Do you understand what it is that you're signing for? Do you understand that this is your, 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 your wage? You'll be paid X amount of money every mm-hmm. month. Do you understand you're actually going to Saudi Arabia and not to wait? Because sometimes uh, these migrant workers, um, and we found that there are cases where they sign a, a contract Sometimes, which is in Arabic, it's not even English. So mm-hmm. they don't even know they're, they're signing. Mm-hmm. Some of the women we've talked to have signed contracts at the airport. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, again, just to answer your question, yes, it's, it's a matter of enforcement and just mm-hmm. regular monitoring. Mm-hmm. Regular monitoring of the agency. um, agencies. Um, you know, we've heard that they're brokers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, who are these brokers? Because of the recruitment process, uh, to be able to recruit people to go to the, to the Middle East. So it's mm-hmm. not just... You can't just sit behind a desk. You have to go to the communities as well. So sometimes yeah. some of these agencies work with brokers uh, mm-hmm. and community members, especially you know, you know, in counties like uh, Kwale and Mombasa, where uh, mm-hmm. you know this is their key counties of, of origin uh, mm-hmm. for, for migrant workers to, to the Middle East. So I think yeah, just answering your question is that there's a there's a question of first first of all passing this 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 these laws that have been developed mm-hmm. and haven't passed yet, but then also just you know. Um, enforcing and monitoring uh, mm-hmm. the relevant parties, including the agents. And in terms of um, in terms of bringing and repatriating the the workers um, from the countries of destination, uh, in cases where they get there and uh, the employers, um, for one reason or another, breach the contracts. Right? For instance, they underpay them or they overwork them. Um, or any other situations that might uh, occur. Do you think there are any processes under the law that kind of explain what happens in that situation? And if there are, uh, why do you think they're not being 
monitored or even enforced in practice? The um, the private employment agencies mm. that have been accredited and 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 the last time I checked on the on the, on the NEO website, um, there are there's a list there and there's a list of 320. The last mm -hmm. I checked, which is a couple of weeks back, mm -hmm. uh, sometime in, in maybe early September. Mm -hmm. So these agencies must pay a bond of 1.5 million shillings each on an annual basis because they have to renew their accreditation on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. uh, their accreditation is not permanent. They have to keep being. Uh, reviewed and they have to be keeping accredited and and the idea is that this money should go to a bond um, and according to the labor regulations uh, this bond is supposed to cover the cost of repatriation and and uh, in, in case of uh, non-payment of wages it's supposed to cover that as well and this is actually required by uh, by law under the, the labor institutions act which was amended in 2016 what is not clear uh, 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 two things the first is whether this bond um, is meant to cover all migrant Kenyan migrant workers uh, abroad, meaning regardless of country of destination, mm -hmm. it's also not very clear whether this bond should cover uh, repatriation costs and you know, non-payment uh, you know, of wages uh, for migrant workers that go through. Uh, other means, other channels, because mm -hmm. you know we've obviously observed that the migrant workers that are going to the Middle East and elsewhere, uh, you know, through brokers or through uh, agencies that are not registered and accredited by the Ministry of Labour. So the question is, in such situations, if they find themselves, uh, you know, in need of repatriation, they find themselves in very, uh, you know, uh, exploitative uh, uh, situations. Do they have, uh, you know, under this Labor uh, Institutions Act, uh, do they have a, a, a you know, a, a say or a right to, um, you know, to request for this uh, repatriation assistance? Uh, it's also not very clear what the process, you know, would be. Uh, you know, as we saw in in, in Beirut um, this year, uh, uh, when we saw that, uh, you know. Hundreds of Kenyan uh, migrant workers, most of them women, some of them were, you know, women who had children, women who were pregnant, found themselves homeless and on the streets, uh, following, of course, uh, you know, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic it had a direct impact on uh, migrant workers and especially migrant domestic workers, which, you know, by virtue of the fact that they work in people's homes mm -hmm. and by virtue of the fact that they they are uh, contracted under the Kafala sponsorship system. Mm -hmm. And of course, they will find themselves in, in very difficult and vulnerable uh, situations, mm -hmm. uh, which then, you know, obviously ended, uh, they found themselves uh, being kicked out uh, mm -hmm. quite unceremoniously in certain uh, situations and uh, find, found themselves being, being kicked out or being driven uh, mm -hmm. with their belongings uh, outside and being left outside the, the Kenyan embassy or the Kenyan um, consulate rather in Beirut. Quite recently, I believe it's two weeks ago, in September, at least uh, mid-September, around September 11th, we saw in Kenyan media that the, the CS uh, of Labor and Social Protection, uh, you know, announced the Migrant Assistant Fund, uh, which, from what we've seen in the media, is supposed to, uh, we're not very clear whether it's, it's, a, it's a direct response to uh, the, the, the Beirut situation or, you know, whether it's just generally a, a, a direct response to the repatriation needs of, of, of Kenyan workers in various countries, 
in the Middle East and Asia um, and elsewhere in the world following, of course, the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, because the, the repatriation needs, uh, uh, obviously, you know, uh, we've, we've seen them, we've seen them uh, beyond mm -hmm. the, the Beirut situation. Mm -hmm. um, so what is, again, not clear to me and to others that I've spoken to is, you know, what is the difference between this Migrant Assistance Fund and mm -hmm. uh, what the Labor Institution Act provides in yeah. terms of you know, a bond that uh, the all the accredited private employment agencies contribute to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where does um, Send Us Home Kenya as a campaign or as a network, where does that fall? And can you tell us why that started? Send Us Home um, was um, established um, as a response. Actually, the story of Send Us Home is interesting because it, begins with, it began with a phone call. Mm -hmm. um, it began with a phone call from... Uh, someone who is now within our network, um, who called uh, to ask, uh, you know, what are Kenyan uh, organizations, NGOs, and other organizations, and of course the government itself, doing. Um, so this was in mid-August. Um, the women had been protesting. Um, the, the, the issue of the women being found, the migrant women, African migrant women, you know, not just Kenyan, uh, Finding themselves in the street uh, started early, early, early in 2020. You know, since mm -hmm. since COVID, so probably April. I think it 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 became um, internationally recognized uh, following a, a CNN um, expose uh, that was published, if I'm not mistaken, in either June or July, mm -hmm. uh, and it was very specific to the, to the experiences of Kenyan migrant uh, women, and you know, all of them were, were, were women, so mm -hmm. Kenyan women migrant workers, mostly domestic workers, who found themselves on the streets and protesting outside their, their consulate. Mm -hmm. um, and many of them, from that account and from um, speaking to them uh, as a send, send Us Home Kenya network, um, had been wanting to go home, mm -hmm. you know, way before June, way before, you know, even, even way before COVID hit. And they had gone to their consulate uh, for support. And, you know, they were frustrated because we're not getting uh, the, the responses that they needed. Uh, and the reason why the, the consulate was uh, a source uh, for, for support for them, or they, seek, they sought support from the consulate, was because, of course, as I mentioned, uh, usually under the Kafala sponsorship system, the, the, uh, the um, employer has the responsibility of, of, of processing uh, uh, travel uh, you know, uh, documentation, including purchasing the, the flight tickets uh, for those migrant domestic workers who travel to, to Lebanon and other parts of the Middle East uh, you know, uh, under a certain contract. Mm -hmm. So the employer, after the two-year period, the employer is supposed to actually support the, the worker to, um, by processing any documentation that is required, mm -hmm. but also purchasing the ticket uh, for, the for the employee and you know, allowing the, the employee to, 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 to leave uh, in good faith. Mm -hmm. But since they found themselves kicked out and out of jobs, uh, homeless on the streets, of course, their next uh, uh, source of uh, support, uh, it was quite natural, of course, was to go to their, to their consulate in, in, in Beirut. Mm -hmm. um, they found the, the experience from, from the discussions we've had with some of these uh, ladies uh, who've now come back to Kenya, quite frustrating. They were not given the support that they, 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 they expected or that they had uh, requested for. And so that is exactly how the, the protest began. And, and, and that's, that's how actually this story uh, 
was covered by CNN and then eventually went uh, viral on, on social media and uh, it became quite an urgent situation. Um, and so that is how uh, Send Us Home was, was born as a, as a campaign, as a volunteer-led campaign. Mm -hmm. In response to this, this um, can you give us an outline of what Send Us Home Kenya is doing now in response to these challenges? Initially, mm -hmm. to raise funds mm -hmm. um, or to cover the cost of the repatriation of some of the, the ladies. But as time progressed and as we took uh, uh, time to organize ourselves and really, uh, you know, come up with a, with a, with a, with a strategy, a fundraising strategy and whatnot, Mm -hmm. uh, the need then shifted, and as more and more uh, migrant Kenyan migrant workers were able to get um, the cost of their tickets uh, uh, covered by uh, you know, well wishers and, and volunteers in, in Beirut, mm -hmm. the, the focus of the campaign then shifted to supporting the ones who are arriving, uh, mm -hmm. uh, because of course many of them were coming back. Uh, as we keep hearing, uh, send us home nowadays. They were coming back with nothing, absolutely nothing, mm. or really very limited funds, yeah. and not much to show for the fact that they, they, they've lived abroad, some of them for, for years, yeah? some of them for more than two years. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, there's, there's in, in addition to uh, that uh, repatriation support, there's the need for now supporting mm -hmm. the return process and the reintegration back into the Kenyan community. Mm -hmm. um, but we are also providing uh, one-off uh, stipends, uh, to every uh, return network, and the network is slowly expanding. Mm -hmm. And the idea is for this stipend to to six thousand Kenyan shillings, which is about sixty US dollars. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that, that this one of stipend then we will be used by these ladies to, to cover their basic needs, uh, mm -hmm. including even the transportation from Jomo Kenyatta International Airport to their home counties. Mm -hmm. we have a group of uh, uh, psychologists and counselors mm -hmm. who are all affiliated with the Kenyan Association of uh, Psychologists and Counselors. Mm -hmm who again are offering their, 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 their services completely, absolutely for free uh, mm -hmm. to this return domestic workers. Because as I said, you know, a lot of them are coming back home, not just with nothing financially, but really, really traumatized. Some of them have actually, unfortunately, suffered from, you know, sexual abuse as well at the hands of the employers, at the hands of the agents in the countries of destination as well. What sort of support uh, would you like, or would you wish to get from, from other Kenyans we're seeking also additional support in terms of finances because we are, we, besides the, the referrals to the counselors, mm -hmm. um, referrals to, we have two, two volunteer doctors as well, medical doctors who are mm -hmm. providing telemedicine mm -hmm. for the more serious uh, medical cases. But, uh, but then also beyond money, I think it's just to, we're asking Kenyans um, mm -hmm. and other concerned parties to just really educate themselves. And I think it's, um, it's a challenge also, it's, it's something that we keep challenging us as well as send us home Kenya is that we, mm. keep, we, we need to keep educating ourselves yeah. and to educate ourselves about you know what is the regulatory framework here in Kenya mm. but then also like within the eastern Africa you know like within the IGAD region within the east African community region mm -hmm. um yeah but then also to join the network because we can't change um, yeah. you know, if we want to change or if we want to actually uh, tell the story uh, of, of this uh, migrant workers yeah. and the, the story of migration and the experiences of the, the migrant domestic workers and not just in Beirut. But I think, I mean, that's, that's, that's why I basically, I'd like to, you know, end with that, is that uh, we, any of us could find ourselves in that situation. Yeah. Um, but even if we don't, mm. then we just need to be more sensitive. We need to 
I suppose look at the issue in a more nuanced manner, mm-hmm. uh, but then at the same time also uh, be more open to learning because there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of things we don't know about. In terms of where you can find us, Send Us Home Kenya has a website called sendushomekenya.org where uh, you can find all our work and also our progress as well if you'd like to keep up to date you can also donate through the website um, we also collect a ton of materials around uh, the issue of labor migration from Kenya and the wider East African region to the Gulf countries and also Lebanon so if you'd like to explore the issue of labor migration in a little bit more depth you can go on our website and download those materials we also have a Twitter account and a Facebook account and also Instagram by the name Send Us Home Kenya so you can message us on either of those platforms we also have a help number for migrant workers who might be in need of financial or psychosocial support and it's plus two five four seven one five four four one six six one plus two five four seven one five four four one six six one thank you so much for joining us on our first episode and until next time goodbye